Welcome back to Season 2 of Talking Points. This season, we're back with another 10 beautiful conversations with some of the world's most extraordinary dancers, choreographers and artistic directors. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. Today, I'm speaking with the artistic director of Sydney dance company, Rafael Bonicella. Rafael grew up in a tiny town near Barcelona in Spain, the eldest of four brothers. As a young boy, he always wanted to dance. But with no dance school in the town, the young Rafael would instead have to create dances for himself and his classmates, before, at 15, being allowed to take the train to Barcelona to take his first dance class. By 17, he'd already been offered his first professional contract and was travelling Europe as a contemporary dancer. But Rafael wanted to hone his craft and decided to return to the studio to train. He moved to London and his world exploded. With dance, with love and with creating movement, which now had a name, choreography. In this beautifully intimate interview, Raphael talks about his early years in Spain, about bullying, about coming out in London just as AIDS had arrived on the scene, about losing hair, finding love and choreography. But more than that, Raphael talks about how he came to accept the position of artistic director with Sydney Dance Company, what he looks for in selecting dancers and how he's turned Sydney Dance Company into a powerhouse of contemporary dance in Australia and across the globe. Just quickly interrupting to let you know that this episode of Talking Points is sponsored by Fjord Review. Fjord Review is dedicated to publishing dance reviews, interviews, features and photography from around the world. Whether you're a self-confessed ballet tragic or new to dance, Fjord Review is your companion in dance. For all Talking Points listeners, there's a 15% discount on subscriptions to Fjord Review using the code TALKINGPOINTS15 at the checkout. Available until the end of October 2022, visit fjordreview.com, that's F-J-O-R-D review.com for full T's and C's. I guess I wanted to go back to the beginning and just ask you about your childhood, where you grew up and what inspired your love of dance. Look, as a young kid, I just love dancing. I just love dancing. It gave me such a joy. And it was something that it was really, really natural to me. We're talking 70s, early 80s mm-hmm. in Spain, mm-hmm. in a small town called La Garriga, mm-hmm. which is 40 kilometers north from Barcelona, mm-hmm. you know, with mountains all around me and no dance school no in the town. School. And if there would have been one, I would have been there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was born with Franco, mm-hmm. the dictator. Mm. So Spain was about to hugely transform. It was the beginning of an exciting moment. The Spain that we know now. Yes. So what, cultural suppression, no dancing, no music. Well, more than anything, not not necessarily that bad in the cities. Yes. But in my town, which was a small town, and now there's three or four dance schools, Mm -hmm. in the 70s there was none. Mm. It's interesting because I come from a town that had the first ever female mayor In Spain, after Franco, she's a writer. And thanks to her, I always have this feeling that she brought brought a lot of culture to my town. Mm. So there was always music and Mm. theatre in summer Mm. and things in the street. So as a young kid, I was always seeing these things. But the, the thing about dancing was just something that I didn't have an older sister that went to ballet. I was the older of four brothers. Wow. I was not meant to dance. <laughs> no. I mean, the truth is that as a boy mm. in the 70s mm. in Spain, mm. dancing was not no. what you did. Yes. I mean, 
It's funny that you say that. A, a lot of people that we've spoken to, you know, in Australia as well, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, growing mm. up, men training to dance or wanting to dance are bullied. And is that was that your experience growing up? Yes, there was bullying. There was name calling. And, you know, I even remember running away from some kids that, you know, felt like the fact that I danced that I used to sing in the choir, that I used to play the guitar in the band in the school, mm. you know, was something that, you know, was not right. And mm. there was that. I mean, you know, even when I was wearing like a yellow terry toweling tracksuit that my mother bought me with leg warmers, like rainbow leg warmers <laughs> in the early 80s, like because I watched Fame, the series, yes. and I was like, I want that and I want to live forever. And I wore that to school. Mm. But there was something in me that managed to get through that mm. and get out at the other end. Not everyone does, and not everyone has the support mm. around them. Mm. Um, it wasn't nice when it happened. And as a kid, you're like, why? Why can't I dance? Mm. You know, why can't I play with the girls who are the ones that want to dance? Yes. You know, it was, it was part of growing up. And so there's no dance school in the town. You take your first formal dance class at, what, 15? 15. But where are you dancing or learning to dance around the house, at school? So, what? look, you know, in 19, what was it, 1983, the, the Thriller video came out. Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson. It, for me, it was all about watching whatever came on TV mm -hmm. that I saw. My favourite game was to make a dance. I didn't know it was called choreography. Yes. But literally I had a boogie box. I would take it to the school yes. and in the patio, in the break, yeah. Yeah. with my group of friends, we would make a dance to pop songs. Okay. And that was how I, as a young person, until I was 15, I got the kick out of dancing by making a dance. Wow. You know, and then being in the dance of someone yes. else and performing it for the school. Mm. For, there was in our neighborhood also, there was a summer celebration and we had a little dance company called New, Nueva Generación, which is New Generation. Wow. And, and between us and the mothers made the costumes. So it was really what we saw mm. in pop videos. We absorbed all of that and... That was it, really. Wow. And incredible, because I'm imagining this Terry Towling tracksuit. I mean, it's not like you're trying to assimilate and, you know, make yourself not noticed here. I don't know. It was, I mean, did you have a supportive mum and dad? Absolutely. Look, they didn't really quite know how, what to do with it. Mm -hmm. But they certainly supported me. Wow. So they, they loved that I love dancing and music. And, you know, if I wanted to do this, they, they would support me. They would come with me when we would perform in little shows. Or the, if there was the, the party of the town with music, I would always be the one dancing mm -hmm. with everybody. So they, they were really supportive. They, they just didn't have the, the knowledge to go like, OK, so we're going to take you to a dance school. And also the dance schools were in Barcelona. Mm. And that was really... The reason why I had to wait until I was 15, because I had to take the train oh, by myself. Okay. So when I was 15, my dad, and I was in high school, it was the yes. first year of high school, my dad said, now you can take the train by okay. yourself. Because they, they were working in factories. Mm -hmm. I had three brothers who were younger than me. Mm -hmm. They just had no time. Yeah. They couldn't take me to Barcelona to do a dance class and back, unfortunately. Yeah. So... It was then that I said to my dad, and he took me to a school that I knew that won all of the competitions of jazz, <laughs> you know, in, mm -hmm. in sort of Catalonia, the mm -hmm. area. And, you know, I started doing one jazz class every Friday. Wow. 
Wow. And then at the same time, as I started doing that, in my high school, um, a girl joined that was in the conservatoire mm -hmm. who was doing ballet. Okay. And then her name was Sandra, I remember, and she was telling me, this is a plié, this is a tandu, and I was like, oh my God, things have names, <laughs> and you can train for it. So suddenly I saw this light yes. that I could maybe become a dancer, which for, again, for my parents, it was like, yes, you want to dance, go and dance, but you, ca you can't live of that. Like, how are you ever going to support yourself? Mm -hmm. So the deal was like, you have to finish high school, mm -hmm. and then you can do some dancing in between, see how that goes. The teacher told my parents, this boy has talent. Mm -hmm. There was not a lot of boys also. Of that course. was the thing. Mm -hmm. You were always the only one in the class. Mm -hmm. There was maybe two. I don't know. Mm -hmm. With um, After a year of doing one class a week every Friday, that school, which was a neighborhood school in Barcelona, they gave me a scholarship to do a pre-professional yes. year thing, which was to do two or three classes a day. In the morning, I would get up at five, I get the train, I do, that's when I first started doing ballet, flamenco, contemporary, wow. jazz, a tap. It was all like one, a day, two, three that day. Then I would get on the train and go to evening high school wow. and get home at 11. Okay, so is your world now just exploding? Absolutely. It was like, wow. It really opened up for me in, in every, you know, it was mm. every dream that I had when I watched Fame was there. <laughs> was there. <laughs> so really like a full-time dance where you train in the morning, dance program where you train in the morning, then home to do school. Absolutely. Okay. But it wasn't the, the conservatoire. So in, in Spain, you do have the Instituto del Teatro where people go to train since they're mm. three or five. Mm -hmm. You weren't able to join that at 15. No. It was all very square. Yes. So I was taking classes in a school um, and there was a teacher there who was giving us contemporary dance. Mm -hmm. Neus was her name, I remember. And after a year... She said to me, there is a contemporary dance company called Anonima Imperial, and they're having an audition, and I think you should go for it. I don't even know what contemporary dance is, really. I've mm -hmm. never been to a performance of contemporary dance. So you've never seen a performance? Of I have never seen a performance of contemporary dance. There's no internet. Mm. It's not like now you can access and, and get information and find out and look at the styles and the companies. Yes. For me, everything was new and unknown and new territory, and I did this audition. The company was a company that existed in Spain for about 30 years until uh, until 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I got the job and Amazing. I was 16. I mean, it just is so, so incredible for a 16-year-old to, to take that on, really. Well, my parents had to sign that contract. Suddenly I went from a small town, I want to be a dancer, to doing classes, to joining a dance company that were doing weird stuff. Because mm -hmm. for me, that was like, they were all older than me. Mm -hmm. But for me, they'd be like, okay, do this. And I do it. And it happened. Mm. But I didn't really have control over it. Okay. So do you mean was, from a technique point of view? Absolutely. Everything okay. was natural. Yes, okay. So I had this capacity yes. to move and to dance. But not that formal training that most others had had. Okay. But not that formal training. Suddenly I'm touring around the world in Austria, in Vienna. Like, it was incredible following all these dancers, performing in contemporary dance festivals, and finally seeing other companies. Mm. Okay. 
So and the exposure stuff. The exposure. To I bought books of Ejar. Like the, I went to bookshops um, and bought books about dance and tr- sort of e- like educated myself mm. how I could. And then I was like, okay, I need more training. As you follow your career trajectory, you know, you can see you join this company. But then I was, why does he go to London Studio Centre to train again for two years? Which is, you know, not normally, you know, if you're in the company, of course, you're continuing to train, but you're doing that within the structures of the company that you work for. So that was the reason you step out because... I saw other dancers. Mm -hmm. I saw other male dancers. Yes. I saw other companies. I saw the 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 you know the the rigor, mm-hmm. you know the discipline that these people had been through. By then, I had informed myself more, mm-hmm. and I knew that I could probably stay with this company for a long time, and mm-hmm. continue to improvise and to yes. you know naturally dance and train within there. But I was like, no, my instinct told me I have to go to a school, I have to do this, and I saw an ad that was London Studio Centre audition next probably month. in a newspaper. No, hanging on a wall in a dance school in Barcelona. Probably what I was rehearsing. Okay. So I did two productions with this company Mm -hmm. in Barcelona. We toured internationally across Europe. The second production was a new creation, which was created on us. We even had a residence in France. So you had that exposure early, that creation of a work on yourself and with the company. Okay. And I was doing high school, finishing high school. (laughs) So I started losing my hair. (laughs) You know, like that didn't just happen a few years ago. It wasn't a fashion move or anything like that. I literally, the stress was so, so much. That so I, it's not I genetic. Was Your brothers? Not, no, no one's bold. No one's but me. bold. <laughs> you know, my mother was terrified by me, all sorts of products. I was like, look, it is, it is what it is. But, uh, but that was really the timing of, of that time. So finishing school, touring with a company around Europe, sort of realising, you know, that formal training that, foundation isn't there and also probably in a way coming of age at that time yeah I'm 17 yeah so I'm I see this in this London studio center I go to the audition and I get a scholarship okay for the school so they said to me look you know we, you won't have to pay for the fees if you get yourself to London and you're able to you know uh, find a way to sustain yourself I applied for a scholarship for food and accommodation to the mm-hmm. government and I got it okay so that really helped me because my parents wouldn't never be able to support that. No. My mom went to the town hall to the Nuria, to the mayor that I talked to you about that mm-hmm. saw me dancing since I was eight years old in the streets of La Garriga. Mm-hmm. And they paid for my ticket for my flight wow. to go to London. Wow. My mom didn't tell me until years ago later because I would have been so embarrassed. Okay. But the truth is that the town even got behind that because my mom was like, I can't afford it. But this boy wants to dance. And my parents, again, were like, whatever you want to do, but, you know, we don't really understand it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you arrive in London, (laughs) 17, and you start training with London Studio Centre. That's right. And by then, I have obviously tested contemporary dance, Mm -hmm. but the London Studio Centre is, it's basically fame. Like, it's everything. That year, they started their first uh, dance um, course for ballet. 
there was musical, it was mostly known for musical theater. Okay. So people that sang, that yes. acted, that went to, you know, like it was amazing. Fabulous. It was like a building in King's Cross. Mm. It was 1990. It blew my mind. And I just went like hardcore, RAD, ballet, ballet. You could do your own schedule. It was really weird. You would, it was amazing, actually. You, you, you went to test at the first week and then said, you're ballet, you're ballet level two, you're tap level one, you're oh. jazz level three. And then through the week, you, you made the map. And I just became obsessed with technique. Mm -hmm. Technique and getting my body to, to respond when I wanted to do it <laughs> in the way that I wanted yes. to do it, not just never lose what yes. I had natural of mm. myself, but be able to, yeah, um, train properly. It's so, in a way, rare to hear because I feel like most dancers don't join a company and then think, you know, this is where I need to improve. I'm actually going to remove myself and retrain for two years to get that technique. I mean, quite courageous, really. I mean, I got a job. Mm. Obviously, I had some talent, but there was no male dancers around too. Okay. And I needed that. I needed the role models. Yes, I see. And when I went to London, it was me and 15 other men. Yes. In a room. So I was like, okay, I want to be like him. And I never had that. Mm. So that community, you found That community mm. of like t training every day and going through that you know, discipline and, 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 and like a sponge. I was like just having, it was incredible. And it was two years. Wow. And this might be quite personal to ask, but mm. I, want to, I wanted to touch on it if you felt comfortable too. So you've come from a tiny village. At this point, you know, your sexuality coming out, is that a big deal to go through that process? Is that something that was hard with your family? Yeah, so, so I was discovering it a little bit before I left Spain, mm -hmm. but not being open. Okay. Yeah, but there was this, I always knew that I was attracted to, you know, people of the same sex or mm. that I was gay or, mm. but, you know, you had never really been taught so much about mm. it. And mm. you know that there's words that they, you, yes. you know, that you're being insulted and, yes. you know, they're being, you're being picked on because mm. of that. But then in, in London, it just very quickly, you know, because I was with, in an environment with other people, mm. you know, and I actually, you know, um, there was one of the other dancers that was training at the place and we had a, my first sort of London mm. affair, love, you know, mm. discovering all of early that was love. like early love, <laughs> was incredible, we're still friends, oh, you know, beautiful. he became a dancer with the Martha Graham because that was his dream, you know, like. So really the, just that beautiful, like coming of age, but in an environment that's supportive. Absolutely. And then there was other people, other gay people in the school, mm. you know, that were maybe a bit older than me or more experienced, or not older, but maybe more experienced than me. <laughs> yeah. I think the two years in school and the mm. friends that I made, mm. they really helped with that. Okay. And then for me, it was just about telling my family, which I did mm -hmm. very quickly, because for me, there was no other option but to be who I was mm. and for my family to either accept me yes. or not. Were you nervous to ask or to tell them? Well, it was because I was in love. Mm -hmm. And when you're in love, you know, but it was also terrifying because it was AIDS. Everything around was death. Oh. And really, you know, so you were like mm. this human being that's just becoming an adult, mm -hmm. knowing that you want to fall in love, that you want to have relationships, that you want to explore, that you want to to, to be, you know, what being a human 
being mm. is and what that means. And but then there's this thing which is like you're gay and you're gonna die and there's AIDS and and at the beginning it was very confusing mm. and not really clear. Well, terrifying. And very scary. My parents had divorced by then. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, so in terms of family that that had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with my mom, she came to London to see me oh. and I told her in King's Cross and she was like, like crying for three days. <laughs> <laughs> but then we worked it out eventually because <laughs> she was just worried about me. Yes. You know, worried. Yes. And it's hard to convey the fear that surrounded AIDS when it first broke. It was it was similar to when the pandemic broke two years ago. Absolutely. You know, is everyone going to die? Is everyone going to be terribly sick? But prolific in the... Do I die if I kiss? You know, like there there was all until we knew what you had to do and not do Mm. and what would help to keep yourself... That's right. ...you know, safe. And now it's a disease that many people live with forever. Absolutely. But how interesting to have to have come out in that time. So that was that. And now you're you're reminding me, but it was quite tough and scary. Um, Yes. Yes. Okay, so you're in London. You're living the dream. (laughs) You've come out and to have that family support. And so now, how do you join Rambert? My teacher in London Studio Centre had been a dancer with Rambert. Iki Mas was his name. And he said, Rambert are having an audition this weekend. I think you should go. Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, of course. At that point, the truth is that I just needed a job. Like I had been for two years a student working in a theatre selling ice creams and programs mm-hmm. in the evening, which mm-hmm. gave me £80 to pay my rent and eat and whatnot. Wow. Yeah. So it was, you know, the, the life of a student. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to start earning my living as a dancer. So I wasn't, I was open. You know, often people ask for advice and I was open to get a job as a dancer. Mm. Like, of course, the Rambert thing, mm. you know, one of a, Britain's leading contemporary dance comedy, etc. But I went for other jobs too. And after today's audition with Rambert, they offered me a contract. And I was like, oh my God, like, you know, yes, I'll take it. And at the time, Rambert, this was 1992, Mm -hmm. the director was Richard Alston. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, had repertoire by Merce Cunningham, Tisha Brown, Mm. like, it was really American, postmodern, really abstract, Mm. really hardcore contemporary dance, let's call it. Yes. And I was just this young person, like, that had been given this amazing opportunity. There was a lot of Australian dancers in the company. Yes. Because a lot of Australians had connection to, to the UK or they mm. could get passports. So the feeling of being in those studios and with those incredible professionals around me and being able to look at them every day and see how they move, how they dance. And then a company that it's about creating new work, mm. about the present Yes. You know, and what's relevant right now and yes. that I was going to be part of that and many choreographers and many influences was just, you know, like, I don't know if I even dreamt that, mm. but it was like everything I would have ever mm. wanted, it happened. Yes. And what an what an influence to have considering where you are now, to have these choreographers and all these different postmodern works made on the company. I mean, I could have not had a better choreographic school, mm. really, to have been in the studio, either learning a work or being part of a creation, learning how different choreographers worked. And it was really an an incredible opportunity for me as a dancer because, first of all, I wanted to be a dancer, you know? And I never knew that I would make it when I was started at 15. Mm. You know, so the fact that I got a job, that they were going to pay me to dance, that was just, like, incredible. You join as a dancer, but are you always 
sort of eyeing off the choreographers in the corner, thinking that's where I ultimately want to be? Well, it happened quite quickly, actually, because I joined in 92 and then in 97 I had my first piece with Rambert. Mm-hmm. So what happened was the Ram- Rambert had a season called Workshop Season. Okay. And the workshop season was the opportunity for dancers mm-hmm. in the company to create work. Oh, with this sounds a, a familiar concept. Absolutely. New so breed. <laughs> it's like new breed. Yes. But in Rambert, they didn't bring independent choreographers like we do. Oh, I see. So I, I, I twisted it my way by mm-hmm. allowing company members to create work, mm-hmm. but also bringing independent choreographers in Australia because I know yes. how hard it is to get dancers. Right. So Rambert's was... Only dancers within the company yeah. had the opportunity yeah. to choreograph. And I okay. remember going to Christopher Bruce because by then Richard Alston had left mm-hmm. as artistic director. Christopher Bruce came and I was like, oh, I want to do a workshop piece. And he's like, no, you're too young. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm too young to dance. I'm too young to make work. And I must have been so annoying. <laughs> and I really can't remember how I got there. But eventually he said, yes, come on, just, just, just do it. So he goes like, just do it after telling me, no, you're too young. And that piece becomes Mm. part of the repertoire. Mm -hmm. I mean, from here, things really take off. Kylie Minogue, you start your own company, the Bonicella Dance Mm. Company. How did you break away from Rombert or how did you know it was time to leave to start pursuing choreography away from being a dancer? So I was very lucky while I was earning my living as a dancer, mm-hmm. and that was my contract with Rambert, yes. I kept making little works. And then eventually I became associate choreographer Yes. for three, my last three years as a dancer. And what that gave me was the opportunity to leave the company, mm-hmm. do projects like Kylie yes. and other smaller projects, and then come back. But then... <laughs> It was like, okay, I can't leave for a month and then come back and go on stage and do Wen McGregor, followed no. by Jiri Kilian, followed by Johan Arin, and still my... Bo- like, yes. It was like, I have been here for 12 years. Mm. I have loved every minute of being a dancer and mm. giving myself to it and touring. And then there was this other thing that I was trying to be good at <laughs> called choreography that I didn't know if, I, if it would happen. Mm. Like, I was getting these opportunities and things were... But there's a big difference between that and actually just throwing yourself into it. Mm. And who's going to pay me exactly to keep doing this? Mm. And what happened was that the, the, the balance shifted. So I realized that, you know, I couldn't do every choreographic job that I was offered while I was a dancer because mm. I had touring commitments and so on. So they, they, they were helping me, but I couldn't have it all. Yes. And then I realized that it was making me unhappy to not do those choreographic jobs, opportunities that came my way. And I was like, you know what, before I get too bitter about it, yes, and before I just, you know, I think I just have to do it. And it was really easy. Mm. It was like, one day I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm just going to, next year I'll finish my contract, and then I'll just give choreography a go. Wow. And in fact, I left without a job. Like, so I didn't leave Rambert and I had seven jobs lined up. Mm. No, no, no. I had, there was the place prize, yes. which was the first edition of a new choreographic competition that had never existed and it was an opportunity to apply and get a commission to make a work and then if you you could get some money and I applied for that but that was the only thing that I had to do as a choreographer and then you know I did the place prize I won Mm -hmm. I got 30,000 pounds as a prize yes and with that money I employed a producer Mm -hmm. 
to start my own dance company. Okay, so, so this is how it gets off the ground. Competitions are good, <laughs> you know, with cash. <laughs> because cash in my case, you know, it actually, I, I didn't buy a car. I didn't buy, go on holidays. I literally went like, okay, what do I need right now? If I want to have my own company mm. and explore choreograph choreography and keep doing what I love doing, is I need someone to help me to write applications to the Arts Council, mm -hmm. you know, to get the gigs, to yes. get the touring and all of that. The and class, I started like that, yes. you know, and I did a lot of it too. I learned a lot, mm. you know, I didn't have a team. I had one person one day a week and we would work together and do everything on that day. And then I would carry on during the week doing bits and pieces. So Incredible. it all sort of was bit by bit. And it's still today the biggest, you know, barrier to the performing arts is how to have the space to do it while being financed. So the thing with Kylie was something that I never pursued. It came to me really unexpectedly mm. just because I kept doing what I was doing. I thought at first it was some sort of like, you know, a joke. Wasn't it? joke. <laughs> Because that that piece had like it, the music was like one washing machine sound. It was really abstract. I was like, oh my god, like you know. But but actually, that's what they were looking for yeah. for something a lot more abstract and mm. more contemporary and so on. So, what were your feelings about choreographing for a pop star if the dream is the choreo contemporary choreographer? Well, at the time, right then, there was no references for me mm -hmm. of contemporary dance makers that had like yes, being see. seduced by the the world of pop <laughs> and ended up doing concerts. There has been plenty, many after, mm. you know. But interestingly for me, there was something that said, Raphael, you know what? You've got to do this. Mm. Like what can go wrong? Mm. Like if I don't like it, then I won't do it again. Mm. Or if I love it, then I will continue to do it. Mm. But there was an element of it, you know, also being spoken about in London at the time because I was with Rambert. Oh, you know, the very formal, mm. contemporary, high flagship, highbrow, blah, blah, mm. blah, and suddenly you're doing pop. Yes. But I was like, well, you know what? Like right now, like I, this is my journey. Like I, there were so many choreographers that I admired. You know, you can go Tisha Brown, you can go Ohad Naharin, Christopher Bruce, Webb McGregor, people that I had worked with, uh, mm. Sue Davies, mm. you know, they've had their journey. Mm. W what is my journey? Mm. You know, who is going to be me but me yes and what does that mean in terms of the choices that I make mm. and my instinct told me go for it and do it mm. and I did it and it could not have been you know a better experience in every way I grew so much mm. as a person as an artist they gave me this opportunity to choreograph you know like two hour pop concert worth thousands of people convene into a stadium and scream like crazy and adore these artists who was an amazing person also. And so that when I came back to Rambert, yes. I was like a more grown up person. Mm. And I made a work called 21 mm. uh, for the company with 21 dancers. And I had Kylie in it projected in a film. Uh -huh. I asked her to be part of my, my world. I commissioned a young um, English composer, Benjamin Wolfish, who is mm -hmm. now doing Hollywood movies, mm -hmm. to make the soundtrack, which was a classical soundtrack. Kylie wrote this beautiful poem about celebrity that she recited as part of the, the music score. And then that work that was nominated, you know, for the 
you know, British Dance Awards as Best Choreography. So it was interesting how things, things you know, merge, merge and world. shift. And mm. and then I kept copy, copy, com, going backwards and forwards. You know, Between I would get opportunities, you know, mm. Tina Turner called me for a concert. I couldn't believe that happened to me, <laughs> but it did. And I worked with her for a month and it was amazing. And then I would, you know, so, yeah. I mean, the boy from... La Garriga. Yes. His head must have just thought, how has this? How have these dreams occurred, and how can I be in this incredible space? And I've thought about that a lot, but also, when we talk about it now, it it feels like it was mm. amazing, but so many things did not happen to. Mm. Interesting you point know? to remember. So many things, you know. Before I got Rambert, I do th- I did three or four auditions before that I didn't get. Mm. Some of them maybe I didn't even go past the bar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But I picked myself up. Mm. You know, I went back to London, and I kept believing that the right thing would happen mm. and would come my way. Mm. How I managed to do that for myself, I don't know, mm. but I did it. The amount of films that I applied for, the amount of things that I applied for <laughs> when I dreamed to be a choreographer, at the time it was VHS. Mm. I sent my VHSs to every company in Europe that I could think of, that I knew of, and I got rejection to. Mm. But I continued. And that's the thing, when we read the CV... We only put the, 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 the highlights <laughs> mm. of the jobs that we've done that people go like, wow, what a career. And I'm like, we should all have a CV of the things we never got. <laughs> yes. It's good to tell people that, you know, yes, not everything worked out. Mm. And that's what makes you resilient. And, you know, if you continue, mm. things will come your way. Mm. Okay, Sydney Dance Company. <laughs> How are you, I suppose, brought out of that incredible space Base and melting pot of creation in London. What draws you to Sydney? So I was in London with my own company by then mm-hmm. that I started in 2006. I was freelancing with companies around the world mm-hmm. making commissions. Mm-hmm. I was doing a little bit of pop and commercial stuff whenever it came up and very happy. And then I was asked to make a work for Sydney Dance Company. Just like I had done for Sabruken Dance Company, for other, for Danza Contemporánea de Cuba, for mm-hmm. Canduco, it was a commission. Okay. You go to a city, you spend a month or however long they give you, you make a work and you leave. Okay. And that was part of me surviving as a choreographer because mm. my company wasn't full-time, it was project-based. I see. And if I could get my, my wage paid for a few months doing mm. a gig, mm. then I could help. You know, it was all about making it work. Mm-hmm. I came here... It was 2008, and um, they were looking for an artistic director, but I wasn't aware of it at all. And within a few weeks of being here, they said to me, we are looking for an artistic director, and would you be interested to apply for the job? And my immediate first reaction was like, no, only because I have a company in London, I have a board of directors. I had worked so hard to build Mm. what I had. And I had people that were so loyal to me, Mm. dancers, people supporting me, commissioning me, co-producing me. So at first it wasn't in my radar or in my thinking, but of course, (laughs) after maybe a month of being in Sydney, working in the Incredible Wolf, seeing what the company had been and getting to know the company and everyone around it, I was asked again, Mm. (laughs) um, would you be interested in doing the interview? 
And then I took, I did the premiere here of 360. It went really well. Audiences connected to the work. It was an amazing opportunity for me. It was at, at Carriage Works and it was huge. And mm. I had never had so much um, support and... Um, the infrastructure. Infrastructure and, and production and all yes. of that, no? Yes. So, and then I was like, wow, you know, this could potentially be an amazing <laughs> opportunity and a great move. Mm. It's still feeling like, you know, but very happy with London. And that was the thing. Mm. I wasn't unhappy or, or or anything like, I wasn't running away from anything. Or seeking a new opportunity. Or see, mm. But it was there. And sometimes your instinct, we're talking about instinct, many things in my life, you know, going to London, to the London Studio Center, when I already have a job was instinct. Mm. You know, the Kylie thing, when it was maybe not the thing that people would have thought of doing, it was like, no, I'm, mm. something's telling me. So I took a week off, I went traveling, and then I was like, okay, I am doing that interview, I am going for that job, and I want it. Okay. I continued with my company yes. just in case it didn't work out because you don't want to put all your eggs in one mm. basket. We've learned that one. Mm. Um, and then I said to them, look, when I'm in a shortlist, shortlist, let me know. <laughs> and I'll start talking to people here mm. because, you know, if this happens, yes. then I need to make sure that I honor everything that I have done here mm. and everyone that has worked with me. And then eventually I was in a shortlist, eventually got the job and everything just happened really quickly. Wow. Now, this was coming up 14 years ago now. You've 14 been, years ago. Yeah, the artistic director of Sydney Dance Company. When you started, were you like, please let this go well? I mean, you know, t to take on such a, you know, high-profile mm. position, is there that moment of, oh, I just want this to go well, you know, consolidate before the really courageous works come out? I think it was a bit of a turning the page mm -hmm. straight away because the company had already been through a lot of trauma. Mm. You know, Tanya Litke had passed away tragically. She was a friend of mine. Okay. I knew her in London. So she was the previous artistic director. She was the previous artistic very director. Very tenure. You know, very, very sad. Um, and I the company had been for I didn't you knew her. Okay. Yeah. You know, we met in the South Bank Centre, had a coffee, and she asked me to make a work, to be the first choreographer to make a work for the Sydney Dance Company under her artistic directorship. Oh, I see. And I said yes to her. Of course, I will make a work for this company that you're going to be running. How amazing, amazing. And then a few months later, I get messages about the accident. And then I forget about Sydney Dance Company because my only connection to Sydney Dance Company ever was Tanya. Oh, it was through Tanya. And then I got contacted like months later, but it had nothing to do with Tanya. Wow. So the, the way that this... Yeah. This has happened, you know, and I contacted the family and her partner at the time mm -hmm. before I came to do the commission at Sydney Dance Company. Did you? Just to give the blessing because yeah. I, I was going to come here with Tanya and then Tanya wasn't here anymore. Mm -hmm. And they were like, go, go, Raphael, because that was always Tanya. And that wasn't even about the job. That was just a respect. That was just about go mm -hmm. to do the work, doing the, 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 in the freelance piece that I did. Yeah. And then the, the opportunity to become director came up. Yes. But um, so this, there's a lot of layers mm. there of things that, you know, life brings and mm. you, you know, you travel through. But for me, it was really like, okay, there was Tanya. Then there was a year where the company were in, in limbo and, try, you know, not in limbo, but actually pushing through. Yes. But without a director. Yes. And so, grief and the trauma and grief of this. And yeah. trauma mm. and, you know, and then I 
just came in and I was like, okay, I made a work. I commissioned Adam Linder and Emmanuel Gatt, I think, in my first year. And that was very different to anything that had happened before. Mm. And audiences got a taste of what was coming. And you're, you're off. And I was off, <laughs> you know, but it, it, but still, you know, I had to learn a lot mm. about Australian audiences, about Australian choreographers, about Australian talent. I wanted to, to, to learn and I contacted everybody that was here in this scene, you know, to get to know them and to, you know, to just mm. have conversations and, and learn about what was going on here and how I could, you know, contribute. Yes. What I have read is that you pick dances that are physically quite different from one another, which, you know, even today, quite sadly, is still a rarity, really, because the ballet companies still tend to pick quite, you know, that cookie-cutter physique. Mm. And, of course, some faculties and natural ability has to come into an aesthetic art form. But can you tell us then what you look for when you pick a dancer? It's interesting because... It's only when I'm being told that then I look at it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> you know, because it's always a very, it's, it's, it, for me, I always look for dancers with open minds mm -hmm. and intelligent bodies. Mm. So people that know how to get the best of who they are. Like we all have our own body that's not like any other body. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you know how to invest in it, if you know how to, you know, get the best of who you are, if you're open to be guided by different choreographers, because, you know, in my vision, there was going to be different influences coming from different people mm -hmm. for different dancers. So there is this thing about dancers that will, you know, commit to to being taking different directions and mm. learning all the time. Yes. And then I ended up I ended up with a mix that I ended up with a mix. <laughs> you know, the, the, there's obviously something for me about also just like uh, being good human beings, mm. you know, and that's something that sometimes you know, sometimes you don't know and you learn through the way, through the process. Mm. But I've been very fortunate in my 14 years here to have come across incredible talent Mm. that have, stayed, you know, worked with me sometimes for 12 years, mm. you know. There's some people like Juliet who was in London. She's Australian, but was in London at the time. And I wanted her to work with my company in London. But then I'm like, Jules, I'm moving to Australia. Do you want to come? And she's like, yes, I'm coming. You know, and she only retired, you know, mm. two years ago. Mm. Um, so there's been beautiful stories. Mm. And, you know, without them yes, and that, incredible contribution that this artist gives to the work that I do, then I wouldn't be where I am and the company wouldn't be what it is. Yes. Just to finish, I mean, wh where to next? You've, you've won almost every global award. You are so celebrated. <laughs> I mean, where, where do you aspire to and where are, you, where are you getting your inspiration for the next seasons, for the next chapter of your life? Look, it's a good question because at the moment right now, after the last two years yeah. that we have all been through, it's interesting because the next steps for us are really a little bit about reconsolidating. Yes. It is what it is. Mm. You know, everything is out of whack. So the touring patterns, mm. you know, getting people to create to come to Sydney, whether it's from yes. interstate or whether it's internationally to come and create. And all of that now is gelling, it's happening, mm -hmm. but we need to be like, we're in the middle of a national tour right now. We just did our first international tour since COVID hit mm -hmm. 
to France, which was five weeks, and we didn't cancel any shows. And it was incredibly successful. We're getting 23, 24, 25, all booked in and ready. So there's a lot of like getting things back on track a little bit for me. So even with all of the challenges of the last two years, nothing has diminished mm. our ambition and drive to achieve our goals at Sydney Dance Company. And we don't shy away from what's in front of us. So we will continue to, to create work that reflects, you know, contemporary Australia, that is rich in collaboration mm. with all sorts of different artists, uh, from music, you know, to design, to visual arts, with all of the integrity and excitement that, that we bring to it. Mm. Raphael Bonacella, thank you so much. We are just so thrilled to to have you here and to just hear your life story and just so excited to see Sydney Dance Company re-emerge after all these years, or well, a couple of years. Thank you so much, Claudia, because it's been an absolute joy to spend this time with you talking and remembering a little bit of mm. the past oh. and also being hopeful about the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Raphael continues to lead the Sydney Dance Company. The company is now back on the stage and touring in permanence, the work Raphael created during COVID. For tour dates and to buy tickets, head to sydneydancecompany.com or you can find Sydney Dance on Instagram at sydneydanceco. And to follow all of Raphael's adventures, you can find him at Raphael Bonicella. Raphael and I recorded our conversation in Sydney on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, to whom we pay our greatest respects. Talking Points is produced by Fjord Review. Remember to subscribe to get the episodes as soon as they're released. And if you like us, please leave a five-star review. On the next episode of Talking Points, I speak with Deborah Brown. I do remember meeting Stephen for the first time. He's just a charmer and, and always up for a laugh. And he said to me, oh, you don't look anything like you do in the video. And I still to this day don't know if that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> Am I a disappointment or am I am I some relief? I don't know. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, with additional production by Penelope Ford and Clint Topic. Sound production and editing by Martin Peralta at Output Media. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com. <laughs> <laughs>